Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Gail. <laughs> okay, thanks. I'm going to give you a Morning. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, my name is Gail. Oh, I've got to take a deep breath. I've been on the road since 10 after 4. And I came from Glendale. Hi. <laughs> okay. What it was like, my experience, strength, and hope. First off, um, I wouldn't be standing here without 12-step programs. I came in to Overeaters Anonymous um, March 1983, and uh, I weighed 225 pounds. I couldn't stop eating. I came in through another 12-step program. Let me just take a breath. (laughs) Anyways, and I couldn't stop eating. My experience is I've tried every diet. I've starved myself. I tried to commit suicide around my eating. I am an anorexic. I, my top weight, I left today, is 350 pounds. And my lowest weight in my 20s was 109. I starved myself to the point where um, I tried to commit suicide. I took strychnine. And when I was at Cedar sinai the doctor told me that I was consuming my muscles. And I just looked at him. It's like, what does that mean to me? You know, I'm really, really thin, and I really, really like it. Um, I have distorted, you know, body dysmorphia. And as a child... My mother had me on every single diet. Um, I have a brother and sister. They don't have the ism like I do. And uh, um, my mother chose me out of the three to obsess about my weight. Never was overweight. Didn't care to eat. I put on a few pounds. She had me on Sego. At 11, she sent me to the diet doc. Well, a friend of mine went to a diet doctor. She goes, yeah, yeah, go. So they gave me speed at 11 years old. And uh, I was about to be a little 11-year-old. You didn't want to see. I was like, I can do anything and go anywhere and stay up all night. And uh, I just felt obese. I wouldn't really say that the weight came on until probably mid-20s, and I could really see the problem. I just couldn't stop eating, so I diet. When I came back, well, anyways, when I came into program, I lost a lot of weight, lost 100 pounds, maintained it. I relapsed. I was out for 19 years, and that's when I hit 350 pounds. Is that my top weight? I could, if I can go to 350, I can go to 500. I can't get enough food inside of me to fix 
the spiritual malady that goes inside of me. I, I don't know what happened on February 8, 2009. I was 59 years old, and I went to a meeting because my brother told me I should go. And uh, he was obese, but he said you were so happy. And uh, the obsession got lifted. So is 350 my top? No. Is 109 my lowest? No. My thought was if I could get under 100 pounds, things would be okay. Then it would be okay. Then I could maintain it. Then I would learn how to eat. I would learn how to do the ways to maintain my body. It didn't happen. Um, so I dieted. So when I came back this time, I was 59 years old, and I had hit bottom as far as I was concerned. I just couldn't stop eating, and especially um, sugar. <laughs> uh, if I could shoot it, I would have. Um, I was eating boxes of it because nothing else numbed the pain. And I was sober in another program. But I'll tell you, it's hell to be sober and not be able to stop eating. <laughs> and uh, I can remember laying in my bed, and I had a double bed. Now, through program, I got married, had a child, raised him, slowly, slowly put on the weight. And uh, I, I maintained abstinence through my pregnancy. But I would lay in my bed, and I would look. And I would say, you know what, there's still room. I still have room because I would see these really obese much more than I was. And I would think they can't fit in their double bed anymore, but I still can, so I have room. And I, I just can remember at night saying, God, take me because I can't do this. I did get abstinent on my own during the years I was relapsing. And... Uh, but I can't do it alone. I need you. So what do I do on a Saturday night when I don't feel 100%? I drive from Glendale and hell holy traffic. Because you know what? I would do anything to get food. Anything. I would go anywhere. <laughs> Didn't matter. And uh, so will I go to any length? Yes. Am I perfect? Far from it. So when I came back, I did a food inventory, and there were 70 times that I could count that I gained and lost probably 50 pounds. Then it was 100 pounds. And this time around, all I know is I lost 11 pant sizes. I, I don't really, the weight, I, I can't make an issue out of it. My anorexia takes over. I get thin, and then I want to get thinner and thinner in the weight. I am an obsessive Measure, weigher, you know, measure my body parts. I, I have this obsession. So I was told when I came back that I have a spiritual malady. And for some reason, on February 8th, I heard it. And I've been around program. My father was in program. He was sober. I just really didn't get it with the food. And the woman grabbed me after a meeting. I weighed 350 pounds. I hadn't showered in two weeks. I was missing a tooth. Um, I wore a bandana, no makeup. 
And I sat there and I just said, there is no other place that I can go that I can get better. And I'll just sit in these rooms, even if I don't lose the weight, if I can just get some sanity. Because I was obsessed with dying at that point. And I sat there and I said, I'm going to walk over to the literature table. And uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I only wore black. I, I wouldn't hardly look at people. And I started to walk out of the, it was about 20 people at the meeting. And this woman grabbed me as I was walking out and she goes, are you a newcomer? I said, no. I said, I've had a 19-year relapse. <laughs> and uh, she just said, you know, what's your binge? And I said, sugar. And she said, here's my phone number. Call me. She said, don't make it a diet. You have a spiritual malady. And one more time, you have a spiritual malady. And that's your problem. And uh, she said, call me. And I went home, and I haven't been since um, February 8, 2009. I was 59. I'm 65 now. I'm going to be 66. Um, the weight came off. I don't know how or when. I started eating my meals. I haven't had sugar since. I don't eat a lot of things. I've done inventories. Part of me having a relapse was that when I got married, three, you know, I had a lot of self-will. And they talk about it, and I say, oh, you know, I try to get along with people, and I go to any lengths. But what I want is what I want. And I wanted to get married. I was at a good body weight, and I was sober, and I wanted to have a baby, and I wanted to have a new car. <laughs> and a big diamond ring. <laughs> well, I got all of it. I got a 6,002.5-carat diamond ring. I had a huge wedding. I looked like a fairy princess. Um, I got a new car, and I got a lot of trouble. It wasn't a good marriage. I shouldn't have done it. I hadn't been sober long enough. I hadn't been abstinent long enough. And what I look at is I took my obsession for food, and I became obsessed with man. And I knew he wasn't good for me, but I couldn't stop. You know, I would break up with him. It's like, you know, how you put the food away, and then you say, oh, well, I'll just have a little. <laughs> and then I would get involved again. And uh, I know a lot of people come in, and they have relationships, and they get married, and they're happy. I wasn't one of them. And, you know, I had a lot of damage. And uh, so I had a lot of resentment towards him. I raised my son on my own. And so when I got abstinent, I said, the, within four months, I said, I have to do an inventory. He had passed away when my son was 15, and I had so much buried anger, and I buried it with my food. And once I wasn't eating, it just bubbled back up. I used to, you know, think of putting hand grenades in his tailpipe and doing horrible, horrible things. And I'm sitting there breastfeeding my baby, and I'm like, I'm going to kill the sucker, you know. And, uh, but, you know, it's okay to feel those feelings. And had I processed them, um, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have gained 225 pounds, you know, but I didn't. And I didn't use the tools, and I didn't make phone calls, and I was ashamed. And I said, how could I be sober and abstinent and, you know, choose somebody that was so wrong for me? 
Well, so four months into it. So he passed away when my son was 15. And uh, I did a very thorough inventory. And, you know, lo and behold, like, it wasn't his fault. (laughs) You know, it was me. So I went to the cemetery. And I I just love telling the story because I felt like I had a big hole in my heart that would never, you know, surgery wouldn't fix it. Nothing would fix it. And I was going to carry that the rest of my life. And when I did the inventory and I read it to my sponsor, I went to the to the cemetery and I got down on my knees and I'm I'm crying and I'm thinking oh everybody's thinking that poor widow you know and I'm like no um um you know I wanted to make amends to him and you know I did and when I got up and I walked out of this you know walked away from where he's buried it was like this plunger just bam <coughs> gone gone gone. No anger. I haven't had any anger towards this human. And uh, he was gone. But it worked because I was willing to do what I needed to do. So I worked with this. I've had three different sponsors since I've been back. Um, The first one I let go. It wasn't working out. And the second one I worked with for five years. I have six years and about eight or nine months. Uh, she got esophageal cancer, and she was very ill, and I had to work with somebody else. And I would say out of all my sponsors throughout the years, this woman has been so good for me. And uh, I call her every day. When I first got abstinent, I would, I couldn't get on my knees. I couldn't even bend my knee because my legs were so huge. And so I would... I have a high bed, and I would pile pillows next to it, and I would just barely bend one knee. And I said, higher power, there's going to be a day when I can get on my knees, and thank you. And I've done it every day, maybe a few days when I've been sick, I haven't done it. But I would say out of these years, every day, I pray and meditate. And at first it was only the serenity prayer. Then... Now I read out of the big book every day. I come to the meetings and I hear what people do that works. And I indoctrinate it into my program. Come up with nothing new. Just take a lot of pieces and it works for me. So I pray and meditate every day. I call my sponsor every day. Most every day. Um, I go to meetings. I do service. Um, I write ten steps. I work with others, and I'll tell you, I'm not on a pink cloud, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, What's happened since I've been sober, I mean, since I've been abstinent? Um, My mother had a stroke. My brother, who told me to come back to program, passed away last year. In May, my son, who's 28, was in a horrific um, automobile accident and went through the windshield. And I had to drive up to Bakersfield on my own. I've abstained through all these things. Has it been easy? No. And a lot of times, addicts and people who have obsessions like we do, you can get through that time, and then it's the balance of it, you know, after the repercussion. So I've been very vigilant. Go to meetings. I go to four to five meetings a week. Um, 
I take calls anytime from anybody. I make outreach calls, a lot of outreach calls, because it's fine I get people calling me, but I need to reach out to others. Um, I'm talking about the steps. You know, I admitted, I, I knew that first day when I came back that I was powerless over food. I couldn't control it. And I love this saying, I didn't cause this disease, I can't control it, and I can't cure, I can't cure it. You know, it's never going to go away. And I think that's part of why I lost my first abstinence. I thought, it's almost seven years, you know. I maintained it through pregnancy. Oh, you know, I'm just an addict, an alcoholic. I don't really have a food problem. And, you know, lo and behold, 19 years later, at 350 pounds, I'm, I'm a compulsive eater. It's not going to go away. Um, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, from the time I was 18 till I came into program, tried to commit suicide in and out of jail five times. If I could be arrested for food, you should have seen my back seat. <laughs> you know, I, I was like very thin and I could eat a lot of food for a long time and I would just throw it in the back seat and I mean they'd pull me over and I'd go oh my god you know I should clean out this car <laughs> wondering why I would get pulled over you know my car looked like shit and uh, you know I was on all sorts of medication lithium Haldol um, antidepressants since December 16th 1982 I haven't had anything um, and I still Crazy, yeah, but you know, I'm controlled. <laughs> I'm corralled. <laughs> I've been given 12 steps. Um, you know, on a daily basis, I make a decision to turn my will. You know, I always thought, oh, yeah, you know, I'll take direction and I'll do this. No, you know, I'm really stubborn. I'm hard headed. And I loved what I heard when I went to this meeting a guy who had 45 years. And he's, we asked him, how is it? you know, that you change. He said, I change when I hit the wall. And that's kind of me. You know, I have to hit my bottom. So I hope that my bottom was 350 pounds. I don't want to have to go out and, and test it. Um, probably a year and a half into my abstinence, I did a different kind of inventory. I did the 168 million questions. <laughs> and I couldn't really understand what the, you know, it was asking about my family history and my relationships and I'm like I don't really get this but when I read it I really saw that it brought up a different part that I never really looked at and the 10th step I feel is a daily inventory and I do write a lot because I have a lot of issues I have a lot of anger I have a lot of resentment and people pleasing and I don't want to live that way um, I read it to my sponsor even when I'm embarrassed. You know, I may write about the same thing ten times. And I tell my sponsees, it's okay, you can call me. You know, if you, if you write about the same thing, keep writing until it, it's not there. We can't make it go away. Um, so I admit it to God, to another human being. Um, you know, a lot of my defects, I'm not ready to let go. A lot of them have changed. You know, the idea that I try to show up on time, I'm responsible. Um, uh, so a lot of the defects have been removed. Not all. Probably 
a small minority. Um, you know, and then do I humbly ask him to remove them? And that is something I do a lot because I have a lot of fear. I just started a new career. I want to know how to do everything and be the best. And I have to, I was getting in the shower a month ago when I started, and I'm in the shower, and I'm like, I'm so nervous. I don't want to have to start a new career. I don't want to have to start to learn over again. And all of a sudden, I, you know, the conscious contact with the higher power through um, the 11th step, I heard this voice so strong, be of service. And it was like, it almost knocked me a little bit in the shower. And I go, I get it. Okay, I'll be of service. And, you know, I went into work and the pressure and the, the feeling of inadequacy. I'm 65 years old. I'm starting a new career. It's crazy. But you know what? It made me willing and humble. And I feel good about doing that. And so it helped me. Um, made a list of all persons we had harmed. Um, I've done it years ago. I continuously do it. If I have harmed somebody, I don't want to live with that. And being being willing to make amends to them all. Yes, I do that on a regular basis. Okay, thanks. Uh, let's see. I love nine. So many times we think we should be making amends. And I had an experience about four years ago. Uh, I was working in a warehouse. This was before I got abstinent. And then even when I got abstinent. And I worked for this man. And he was really harsh and really mean. And I had no self-worth. And I felt like I should take anything. And there was a point when um, we had some problems. And I yelled at him. I just lost it. And he's like, don't yell at me. And I said, well, you yelled at me. And we went through this whole thing and went into the corners, licked our wounds, and came back, and it was fine. And so I wrote about it and shared it with my sponsor. And she said, no, you don't need to make amends. And it's like, but I want to make amends because that makes me feel better. And she said, but you're not going to make amends this time. She said, just leave it be. And do you know that relationship so changed after that? Um, so I do take direction today. Uh, ten, I do take, I write a lot. I love to write. It helps. Talking about it is great. I have been through massive amounts of therapy. I love to talk. But the writing gets to the core. And maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, but eventually it gets to the core. Prayer and meditation don't leave home without it. I feel like it's my clothes, you know, and that's what I tell myself because I can get real stubborn and go, I'm really tired. I really am busy. I got to hurry. And, you know, I, I pray and meditate every morning and I get up earlier so that I can do it. It sets the tone. So when I have really crappy days, I'm like, thank God I prayed and meditated because it would have been a lot worse. Now, 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I did have, I've had several spiritual awakenings, and I had one on February 8th. I didn't know I was having one, but it says on page 27 in the big book, you're going along in one direction, and all of a sudden, your thoughts, ideas, and I can't remember all the words, but you just shift. And that's what happened to me. And for me, that's good enough spiritual awakening. 
and the process to maintain it. And I try to practice these principles in all my affairs. I live differently. I try to be honest and fair. And I came in with lots of debt. I paid it off. It hasn't been easy. Cars broken down. <laughs> Another car. You know, just life. And, you know, for me, coming from where I did, I came from a, a lot of violence in my family history. Guns going off. Um, watching parents hurt each other. And, you know, there was a lot of internal damage inside. And, like I said, I've been through therapy. Nothing has worked and given me the sanity where, you know, I'm not using, I'm not drinking, I'm not overeating. Um, I have changed. <laughs> and it's not because of me. You know, it's coming into these rooms, listening to you people share your hurts, your hardships, how you do it. Because I wasn't taught these things. You know, I always like to say I was raised by the wolves. It was like the survival of the fittest. If you were fit, you'd make it. And if you didn't, well, <laughs> you fell along the side. Um, I've made amends to my mom, my father. He's passed away. I've made a lot of amends. And uh, I have a lot of peace today, a lot of peace and serenity. I don't have a lot of money, but I have a lot of peace and serenity. And, you know, I don't have a relationship today, but I feel good about myself. Am I at my perfect weight? I don't know. Maybe God will have me lose more. Um, I just haven't dieted and felt, who's the thinnest one in this room? Who's the skinniest? i got to be skinnier than her. You know, the crazy that goes on in my head. And I don't do that anymore. And I can look at people and I can forgive people. And I kind of want the best for everybody. I think with that, I'm going to end. Thank you, Veronica, for having me speak. And uh, thank you for letting me be of service. Oh, okay. Sure. Are there any questions? Yes. You know, first of all, it's to get it on paper and write it. Pardon? Oh, he said, how do I get over resentments? Um, I wasn't real good at it up until <laughs> about seven years ago. Uh, I think writing it and continuously, you know, sharing with my sponsor on it. And I, I will tell you, sometimes I write and I'll look at the writing and I'll say, this is totally not the truth. And I'll, <laughs> I go i got to rip this up, and i got to start over again. Because I lied to myself. And uh, that's really sad. <laughs> but I do that. I hate to admit it. But, um, you know, and when I get to that core, I like to say like it's a root. And I finally know that, you know, this resentment. And also to pray for people's... Oh, I've had some... <laughs> I have a long list still. Uh, peace, joy, prosperity, and happiness. And that seems to work too. But writing about it, you know, getting to the core of what, what the interaction is like with my boss. And, you know, I was jealous. You know, he was younger than me. He made a lot of money. And, you know, he's carefree. And I'm all like, i got to do everything perfect. So writing about it and sharing about it really, really helped. I don't know if that helps.
Yes. Yeah, I think to my mother and my father. Oh, uh, how did I make amends to my mother and father? Um, I was such a whirling dervish and such, out of all the kids, the trouble, you know, hitchhiking and drugs, alcohol, you know, all. They were so happy that I was finally sober and I had gotten abstinent three months later. Um, they didn't want to hear much of it. They're just like, we're so glad that you're okay and that you're not trying to commit suicide and that you're not in therapy. And, you know, so they, my father tried to get me into these rooms when I was 18. And then he disowned me. And then, we, you know, when I got sober, we made amends. And uh, when he passed away, I was the only child with him. And... Uh, I love him. <laughs> and I had a lot of resentment towards him, too, for what went on in our family. But with my mom, too. She had a lot of forgiveness for me. And one thing she would say to me, oh, I don't know, you know, at your age, I might have done the same type of things. You know? <laughs> so there was a lot of forgiveness. Thanks for asking. Yes, Veronica. When you got in that relationship and before you got married, do you know you got inside? Yes. Yeah. Um, when I was, uh, oh yes. Um, when I got married, did I know that it wasn't the right relationship deep down inside? Yes. But I wanted it. <laughs> you know, he brought the right goods, said the right words, and. It fixed me, you know. I have to say, it fixed me. And now I watch sponsees and I just go, Ooh. okay, well, you know, you can try it and see how it works. <laughs> I would suggest a little more work, but you know what? I got a beautiful son out of it. I, I, it wasn't a total disaster, although look what I put myself through. You know, I really didn't have to do that. Um, today, I feel differently, but back then, um, yeah. And I, I would talk to my sponsor, and she'd go, do you really love him? Oh, yeah, I really, really love him. That lasted three months after the marriage, you know, after we got married. And then it was like, because I was pregnant, and, you know, my self-worth wasn't that much. But I had a baby inside of me. And all I could think of, I cannot bring a child into a crazy marriage. And I knew it was going to be. And he went on and got married and had more kids. Thank you.